Well, Happy New Year again. Happy New Year, 2017. I know that God has good things planned for us in this new year. He has good things planned for your walk with Him. He has good things planned for your family. He has good things planned for our church in the new year, 2017. And so when you're walking with God, there's really nothing to fear in the future. There's nothing to fear in the new year. It's, a, it's going to be a good year. It's a time to be thankful. It's a time to rejoice. Now, even though some of you have gone through difficult times in 2016, God's going to be with you in the new year. God's going to be with you. He's going to see you through. I'd like us to watch a, a short video called God of the New. So this new year, 2017, it's a gift from God to each one of us. It's a, a new start. It's a fresh start. And so let's grab hold of what God has for us. Now this morning we're going to be talking about the Messiah's resurrection. If ever there was a fresh start, uh, it's coming back from the dead. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, hey, he can do anything. Nothing is impossible for our God. Now in this message, we're going to see how David in the Old Testament prophesied of a coming Messiah who would die but live again. And so as a prophet, David saw ahead, he saw in the distant future concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. Now we've just celebrated Christmas, the birth of Christ. It's the largest or biggest holiday in the world. And yet, as we look at the Bible, obviously the birth of Christ is mentioned, but really more emphasis is given to the death and even the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is of supreme importance because the resurrection showed that the power of God was greater than death. The power of God was greater than anything else. And if God can raise or could raise, did raise Jesus from the dead, then he can make the coming of this new year a, a year of great hope for each one of us, no matter what's happened in the past. He can do absolutely anything when we put our faith and trust in him. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what our faith is all about. I'd encourage you to follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the outline written out there along with the verses on the back of some study questions that you can do on your own, even if the life groups are not meeting. Sunday night life groups will not be meeting today. 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Now, of course, he's, he's arguing against people who say there was no resurrection. And he's basically saying that if Jesus simply died on the cross and was not raised from the dead, then Christianity has no meaning. If Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead, where is he? He'd be dead. He'd be decaying in the tomb. And we, our faith would be pointless. If Jesus is still dead, there'd be no forgiveness of sins. We could not have a relationship with God because of our sins. Nothing would make any sense at all. But Jesus is not dead. He rose from the dead. And that implies that he's alive today. He's alive forevermore. He rose never to die again. In the book of Revelation, which was 
written down years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. The Apostle John writes that he saw Jesus Christ and Jesus said to him, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. When we survey all the religions of the world, the founders of every religion except Christianity is dead. Moses is dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Krishna is dead. Confucius is dead. I could go on more minor religions. They're all dead. Only Jesus Christ is still alive. And in order to be saved, in order to have eternal life, you must believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not, it's not an optional belief. Unfortunately, there are people today who claim to be Christians who don't believe in the resurrection. It doesn't work that way. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We must believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. If he's not raised from the dead, he's dead. And there's nothing to put your faith and trust in. And so we need to be clear on that. Not only must we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and he's alive today, we must tell others about the truth of his resurrection. It's, it's a key point because you cannot be a Christian and deny that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so today my first goal in this message is for each one of us to believe that Jesus Christ is alive, that he did rise from the dead. And secondly, my goal is that you would be able to tell somebody else about it, that you'd have some evidence that your faith would be bolstered, that your faith would be strengthened, that you'd be able to articulate why you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, the passage that we're going to look at today is taken from Peter's message in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It's a powerful message, and it features teaching by Peter on the importance of Jesus' resurrection. And I believe that we can learn a great deal from how Peter taught the crowd about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. that will be helpful to us, uh, both in our own understanding of the resurrection and our own ability to articulate it to others. So our passage today, found in Acts chapter 2, begins with Peter giving a summary of who Jesus was, the story of Jesus. Now, somebody asked you the question, who was Jesus? How would you answer? I mean, in a couple minutes, what would you say? I mean, there's all kinds of things you could say about Jesus, but what are the most important things that you could say about who Jesus is? Now, if you go around and ask people, who is Jesus? What kind of answers would you typically get? You can answer me. Okay, he's a good teacher. He was a prophet. He was just a man. He was the son of God. Okay? So, we get all kinds of answers. So, let's see how Peter basically answers the question about who Jesus is. And he gives us three points about Jesus. He didn't begin with Jesus' birth. He began with Jesus' ministry of miracles. Verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, 
which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Now, many people today downplay the miraculous aspects of Jesus' ministry, and they're recorded all through the Gospels. I mean, you can't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John without reading many, many accounts of the miracles that Jesus worked. Some even go to, so far as to say that the miracle stories were made up, and, and they aren't really true. And yet, what does Peter begin with? He begins with the miracles of Jesus Christ. He says that these miracles, these wonders, these signs showed that God was with Jesus, that he wasn't just an ordinary man. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just a prophet. I mean, he was a prophet. He was a good man, but not just that. He was much more, and that is attested by these miracles. He states that God was working these miracles through Jesus, and we know in other scriptures that it was through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through Jesus to perform all these miracles. Now, the crowd that Peter was speaking to on the day of Pentecost knew what he was talking about. I mean, this is just after Jesus had ascended into heaven, and so these people had heard Jesus teach. These people had seen or at least heard about the miracles Jesus had done. They had undoubtedly had talked to people who had been healed by Jesus, perhaps a blind man who could see or a leper who had been cleansed, or the list could go on and on. And so this was not just something they were hearing about for the first time. It was not just something they'd read about in a book. They had lived through Jesus' ministry. And so Peter is is telling us here that you can't talk about Jesus without talking about his miracle-working power. It is an essential part of who Jesus was and his ministry. Next, Peter says that Jesus died by the will of God. Verse 23, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And so Peter makes it clear then that the next important part of Jesus' story that was that he died. He died on the cross. But it wasn't an accident. It was part of God's plan. God knew it was going to happen, and Jesus knew it was going to happen. It didn't surprise anybody. He told his disciples it was going to happen. It was part of God's plan that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. Now, even though it was part of God's plan, that doesn't take the guilt away from the Jews and the Romans for putting him to death, the ones that were complicit in his crucifixion. They were guilty of the murder of the Son of God, the one who had done miracles among them, the one who had taught them the ways of God. But that was not the end of the story. Peter goes on to talk about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. I like the way... Verse 24 begins, but God. Jesus died on the cross, but God. The story doesn't end with his death being placed in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And even when it seemed there was no hope, even though when it seemed as though the promised Messiah was dead, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the grip of death. And God raised Jesus from the dead to life, never to die again. He raised him alive with a glorified body, which we'll talk about 
in a minute. So there we have Peter's summary of who is Jesus. He was a man who was attested or credited by God through his ministry of miracles, number one. Number two, he died on the cross that our sins might be forgiven. And number three, God raised him from the dead and he's alive today. He's alive forevermore. And so we too, when we're talking to people about Jesus, those should be things that we talk about. His miracles. And his miracles, as we read through the book of Acts, continued through the church. They continue to this day. God still works miracles. Jesus continues to do miracles through his church, through his spirit. We need to speak about the death of Jesus on the cross, but certainly not end there because we must believe that Jesus rose from the dead in order to be saved. Now, Peter was one of the eyewitnesses. He was one who witnessed Jesus being crucified on the cross. And not only did he see Jesus dead, but he saw him after he rose from the dead. Peter talked to him. Peter touched him. Peter ate with him. Peter had seen Jesus ascend back into heaven, going up through the clouds. So Peter knew that Jesus was not just a good teacher. He was not just a prophet. He was the Messiah. He was the very Son of God. And God proved it by raising him from the dead, alive forevermore. Now let's see how Peter quotes from a prophecy of David. We don't commonly think of David as a prophet, do we? I think David was a king. He was a, well, a, a writer of songs, psalms, uh, many of them, most of them, Peter, I mean, David wrote. But let's see how Peter quotes from David's prophecy in Psalm 16. It was a messianic prophecy. Let's continue on with Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, verse 25. It says, David said about him, who is him? Him is Jesus. He's just been talking about Jesus. David said about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also, my body also will live in hope. Now, at first glance, when we read Psalm 16, we, we think that David is speaking about himself. But here we see that is not the case. David is speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And basically, he's speaking prophetically. It's as if Jesus was speaking through David's words here, through David's mouth. And so Peter here makes it clear that Peter is, uh, David is speaking about Jesus Christ uh, in these verses from Psalm 16. Who is the Lord here? The Lord is the Father. It's like Jesus says, I saw the Father always before me. He was always with Jesus in his earthly ministry. And as we'll see, this prophecy anticipates the Messiah's death. Jesus knew before he went to the cross that he would not be shaken. Jesus knew that he would rise again from the dead. He knew there was a purpose in his death. He knew that there was great joy with all the children of God, that includes you and me, if you're believers here this morning, he would have through his death and ultimate resurrection. And so Jesus rejoiced knowing what his death and resurrection would accomplish. He knew that the Messiah would not stay dead. Peter continues to quote from David in Psalm 16 in verse 27. He says, because you 
And the you here is the Father, will not abandon me, Jesus is speaking, to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. When Jesus was on the cross, he took the sin of the world upon himself. In fact, the Bible says he became sin for us. It's hard to comprehend what that means. I mean, just the weight of your sin or my sin, if we think back of all our sins in this lifetime, that's a lot of sin. And then you multiply that by billions of people who've ever lived. The weight of all of that coming upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And God the Father at that point, as Jesus took our sins upon himself, could not look on that evil. He could not look on that sin. And he turned his face. And at that moment, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, Jesus knew that the Father would not abandon him forever. He would not abandon him in the grave after he died. He would not allow his body to decay. Jesus himself prophesied that three days after he died on the cross, he would rise again. He would raise from the dead because the Messiah was meant to live forever. Verse 28, continuing to quote from David's prophecy in Psalm 16, You, speaking of God the Father, have made known to me, Jesus, the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So here the Messiah, through the lips of David, continued to speak, of, speak to God the Father. Rather than decaying in the grave, God would show the Messiah the path of life. He would bring him into his presence with joy. In other words, the Messiah would be raised from the dead to live forevermore. The next verses, we're going to see how Peter interpreted this prophecy regarding Jesus. Now, in this message series, we've been looking at different messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, seeing how they're fulfilled in the New and to be honest, we're just scratching the surface. There are some 300 Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Some of the prophecies deal with different, they deal with different aspects of the Messiah's life. Some are more general, some are very specific. And we see in the New Testament of the Gospels, Matthew has the most quoted. Uh, many of these prophecies from the Old Testament quoted and then shown how they're fulfilled in the life of Jesus, the Messiah. Fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. And these fulfilled prophecies are, are powerful internal evidence of the validity of Scripture. We see prophecies made hundreds and thousands of years before fulfilled in the life of a single man, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we see eyewitnesses providing the evidence for that. Not only do these prophecies show that Jesus Christ was the prophesied Messiah, they, they show how God supernaturally gave these prophets knowledge and revelation of what would happen in the future. And that is an act of God as well. We know that all the prophecies concerning Jesus' life have been fulfilled. We see that in Scripture, and so we can have confidence that those that speak of the Messiah's second coming, when Jesus comes again, will also be fulfilled in the future. So now let's see how Peter interpreted David's prophecy. 
And I might say that this fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies in the New is something that you can use when you speak to people about the accuracy and the validity of Scripture. How could this have happened if God was not involved in the writing of Scripture, if God was not involved in these prophecies? I don't have the figures in front of me, but people have tried to calculate the odds of all these prophecies being fulfilled in one one person, and it's astronomical. I mean, it just would never happen in the whole history of the universe that all of these detailed prophecies in the Old Testament would be fulfilled in the life of one single person. Powerful evidence for the truth of the Word of God. Now, Peter goes on to say, as he speaks in his message, talking about the importance of the of the resurrection, verse 29. He says, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died, he was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. What Peter is saying is that David was not speaking of himself when he said that God would not let his Holy, holy One decay. David had died, he was buried, and in Peter's day, the tomb was right there. They could see it. Rather, David was prophesying of the Messiah who would come in the distant future. And Jesus was the promised Messiah. Verse 30, Peter says, But he, David, was a prophet, and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his, that is David's descendants, on the throne. And so Peter is saying, you know, we know that David is a singer, but David is also a prophet. He was writing Psalm 16, there's other Psalms as well, but we're just looking at Psalm 16 this morning. As he heard from God, as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write down something that was going to happen more than a thousand years in the future. God had promised David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne and rule forever. Now, can any human being fulfill that prophecy? And said, no, nobody's going to live forever. Only the Messiah could fulfill that prophecy. A descendant of David. David was speaking of Jesus Christ. Not only did David prophesy the coming Messiah, he prophesied that the Messiah would be resurrected. Verse 31. Seeing what was ahead, he, that's David, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Now, David did not see ahead because of his mental ability. He didn't figure everything out. He saw ahead through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. God revealed the future to him. That's how prophets work. David was speaking of the resurrection of Christ, the Messiah. And that would happen, as I said, a thousand years after David had died and was buried. Jesus, the Messiah, was the one who would go to the grave. He would not be abandoned. His body would not decay. He would be preserved and transformed by the power of God. And eyewitnesses prove that Jesus lives. Verse 32, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. God the Father raised Jesus to life, never to die again. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, his physical body that had died on the cross was, was transformed into a glorified body. A glorified body has both physical and spiritual characteristics. 
including being immortal, never to die again. The body that Jesus was raised in is the kind of body that believers are going to receive. When Jesus returns again, or, well, when Jesus returns again and when we're raised from the dead, if we've died before that point, if he returns again, we're in the flesh, we'll receive a glorified body. We'll go straight from our physical bodies to a glorified body. Peter concludes by saying that we're all witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Now, he's speaking of all of the disciples there, the 120 in the upper room. They'd all seen Jesus alive with their eyes. They touched him. They'd eaten with him. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was alive. It wasn't, a, it wasn't their imagination. It wasn't mass hallucinations. It was, it was a fact. They'd heard him speak. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. It's documented in the manuscripts of the time. <clears throat> and so as we've celebrated the birth of Jesus just last week on Christmas, we must remember the entire story of Jesus. Uh, it's not enough just to talk about his birth. We need to talk about his ministry of miracles, the supernatural aspects of Jesus' ministry, his death on the cross for our sins, and his resurrection from the dead, proving that he was indeed the Son of God. I don't think we emphasize the resurrection enough. We talk a lot about Jesus dying on the cross, but the resurrection really is at the heart of what the gospel is about. If you've not been sure whether Jesus rose from the dead or not, I would encourage you this morning to believe that fact. Choose to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Polls tell us that about 75% of Americans believe in the resurrection, which means 25% do not. And I think that number is going down as the years progress, the number that believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so when you're talking to other people about spiritual matters, a good question would be, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? If they do, then discuss the implications of the resurrection. If this man, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead and he's alive today, that has huge implications. How can you not acknowledge that he's the Son of God? How can you not give your life to him? How can you not... Understand that he was God in the flesh. And if they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, perhaps they should read the eyewitness accounts of him rising from the dead and that God would work in their heart through that to cause them to believe as well. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost about the resurrection of Christ, and there's other things, this is just a portion of his message we looked at this morning, it resulted in over 3,000 people being saved on that day alone. And I believe that same message that we've talked about this morning has the power of God for us today, for us in the new year and throughout the year. And so this year, 2017, we want to begin a new plus one challenge. Okay? It's a new year. And... I want to thank everybody. We had a plus one challenge in 2016. I want to thank everybody that invited other people uh, last year. 
But to be honest, as a church, we were not particularly successful. Just to be honest, okay? Not particularly successful with the plus one challenge in 2016. Now that doesn't mean what you did in 2016 was not sowing seeds. It doesn't mean that what you did was, was of no value. But God wants 2017 to be a year of harvest when we begin to see the fruits of our labors as we're witnesses for Jesus Christ. And so God wants us to do better in 2017. What is the plus one challenge? If you haven't heard it before, the plus one challenge is to make a pledge, make a commitment that you'll do your best to invite at least one person to church and that that person is added to our church family. Okay, getting somebody to come here once, that doesn't fulfill the plus one challenge. Okay, But getting somebody to come in and become part of the family of God here uh, whether they're unsaved and become saved or whether they're uh, unchurched, whatever it may be, uh, that's what the plus one challenge is, to add at least one person to our church family in 2017. And if everybody does that, what's going to happen to our church family in 2017? Can anybody do the math? Okay, very fast people, even without calculators. If everybody invited one person and they were added to our church family, our church family would double in 2017. And that is certainly a doable thing. If everybody invited two, can anybody, well, it's getting more complicated now. If everybody invited two people, what would happen? Triple. See, we get quadruple, triple. No, it's triple, okay? Uh, some people need the calculators. But uh, God wants us to begin to pray. God wants us to believe. And yes, people's hearts are somewhat hardened to the gospel. We're not saying this is easy. But as we pray, God is a God of the impossible. And the people that you've prayed for over years, let's begin to believe God that this year would be the year of breakthrough. This year would be the year that God breaks through, through your prayers and your words, and that they turn to him and become part of, you know, some people are going to be part of other churches. That's okay. You know, we're not the only church in town. But God wants people to be added to this church as well. And so on your Connect cards, there is a, a checkbox there, I believe. Let me just be sure. We've got it. Is there one? Yes, it's Accept the Plus One Challenge 2017 for the new year. So I'd encourage you to check that box. Even if you... Accepted the challenge in 2016. Okay, 2016 is done. We did what we did. We're moving on to 2017. So I encourage everybody to check that box. We'll put you on the list. And from time to time, we might remind you of your plus one challenge and give you, uh, give you some information that might help each of us be more successful in reaching out to others. So with prayer and God's help, I believe we're going to see great things this year. So ask God for opportunities, uh, who you can invite to our church services next week. And we're going to be talking about the Messiah's, got a couple more messages in this series. Next Sunday is the Messiah's exaltation, what that all means. We don't talk about that enough either. Jesus ascended into heaven and he's seated enthroned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What does that really mean for us in the new year? So we're going to be talking about that next Sunday. Well, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, uh, 
you need to do three things. You need to basically, we have admit up there, I, I really would like to change it to repent, okay, but RBC just doesn't seem to work too good. So it's still admit. Uh, but admit means admit that you sin, but it also means to turn away from your sin. That's why I like repent better. It's not just like I sinned, like, oh yeah, whatever. It's like, I admit I've sinned and I'm not going to do it anymore. I repent. I turn away from my sin. And I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that my sin might be forgiven, and he rose from the dead. And so I commit my life to following him as my Lord and Savior. Now, you can't follow a dead person, really. So the resurrection is implicit in your believing in Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to pray. And if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ before, you'd like to renew your commitment to him in this year, 2017, on this very first day, New Year's Day, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. So let's bow our heads right now. Father, we thank you that Jesus is alive. We thank you that he rose from the dead. And today we admit that we've sinned. We've done wrong things. We've turned away from the shepherd of our souls. We've gone astray. And we repent. We choose to put our faith, to put our trust, to believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The one who died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. And three days later rose from the dead. And we commit our lives to following him, the living one, who is alive forevermore. As our Savior and as our Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being part of your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.